Welcome to another one of our interview segments here on The Breakdown. As some of you might remember, a couple of weeks ago, we sat down with the president and the vice president of Black Lives Matter, Calgary. Now, that interview sparked a whole lot of conversations. We received a lot of feedback on it. And we want to try to expand on things a little bit because one of the things that we've learned in over the last year and a half that we've been doing the show is that it doesn't serve any good if you represent any group as a homogenous group that all share the same opinion because the reality is that's simply not true. You take a look at Alberta, for example, and in Alberta, you could say that Albertans support the Conservative government, but there's a lot of people that aren't fans of the UCP. So saying Albertans is a generic term that doesn't represent the nuance inherent in everybody's different views. So today, we're very fortunate to be sitting down with social worker, community advocate, uh, Lana Bentley, to help provide a little bit of an alternative perspective on what systemic racism is, how it affects people, and hopefully what we can potentially do about it. So first of all, Anna, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us today. <laughs> it's nice to see you again, Nate. It's nice to see you again, too. So to start with, sure. how would you define systemic racism? What did, when somebody says systemic racism, what does that mean to you? Sure. Uh, well, as I understand it, and I'm... I've, I'll say as I understand it, because I think there's a lot of different perspectives on systemic racism. The one common denominator amongst all of them being that racism uh, hurts people. So I, I think fundamentally the outcome of racism is that people end up feeling diminished and they're not able to fully participate in community based on one demographic factor, that being their race. So if we look at the nuances uh, around understanding systemic racism, I would say my understanding of it is that it is racism that is embedded in institutions and larger systems that impact your life. And how that differs from individual racism is, uh, and I think this is where it gets kind of tricky, <laughs> is, is quite often when we have discussions about racism, um, part of the explanation around it are examples that happen on the individual level. And those examples uh, quite often are painful. I myself have experienced name-calling and, and, and people being mean to me, whether that be aggressively or passive-aggressively. Um, but systemic racism doesn't necessarily operate on the individual level, but it impacts individuals. Okay. And so while my day-to-day -day experience may be one where I don't get called a name, we know that there are differing healthcare outcomes for people based on race. While my day-to-day -day experience might not involve me being called a name, um, to the best of my knowledge, we have yet to see a black woman be elected to provincial or federal office in the province of Alberta. So I think two things can be true at once. You can have something like systemic racism looming in the background, and as a person of color, you can still have experiences day-to-day -day that are quite pleasant, where you're not being treated poorly just because of your race, but having experiences that are positive and having people be kind and compassionate to me doesn't cancel out the fact that we still have big disparities in terms of income and health outcomes, educational attainment, that for different groups of people exist solely because of personal characteristics that they have. Race can be among those. I think if we look at 
sometimes understanding systemic racism or any form of oppression, you can do that when you look at themes and patterns. And I think in social policies over the years in this country, we have seen some policies that have inadvertently um, created an imbalance between different groups and then some social policies that have overtly attacked groups of people. So if we look at in general, what do all those uh, forms of oppression, be it sexism, be it ableism, be it racism, have in common, um, it's usually about uh, making it difficult for those folks to participate in the political process. The myth of scarcity, well, if this group gets to have something, there won't be enough for us. So painting them as a threat, economically, physically, whatever the case may be, uh, as well, segregation, keeping people physically separated to create distance and make them uncomfortable being in proximity of one another, uh, access to children, uh, implementing social policies that erode family systems and make it difficult for groups of people to have the family cohesion that sets kids up for success. So I think if we're, and I would also say uh, negative stereotyping, negative stereotyping about um, whether it's safe to be around a group of people. And uh, I think if you look at that example in Central Park, I, what are they calling her, Central Park Karen? Uh, <laughs> oh yes, the one who said she was gonna call the cops because the guy was walking his dog. Yeah, and, and what's interesting is when you look at that example, beyond the fact that she was clearly lying, the reason that was so painful, I think, for a lot of, um, sorry, I'm creating a bit of a rebound sound there, but I think the reason that was especially painful is, you may have noticed for those who are watching this video clip, that some African-American folks referenced Emmett Till. Mm -hmm. That was a 14-year-old African-American boy who was lynched and murdered because it was alleged that he whistled at a white woman. The thing about systemic racism, like I said, is that it's looming in the background and sometimes it is expressed in aggressive social policy meant to attack a group, i.e. residential schools. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not a member of the Indigenous community, so I wouldn't dare to claim that I understand um, their experience. But as a non-member, I can say residential schools were racist, they were harmful um, and damaging. But if you think about why that Central Park call was so troubling, beyond lying, beyond engaging emergency services needlessly, beyond, beyond hurting another individual, she said a black man. Mm -hmm. And part of what that speaks to is the social conditioning that I was talking about earlier, which is myths about whether it's safe to be around a group of people. Fair enough. So you don't, you don't necessarily know <laughs> that you're being conditioned in those ways, but I have two sheepdogs. And sometimes I joke that all of a sudden I'll turn around and they've herded me into a corner in the house. And I'm like, how did I get here? And I think that what's really dangerous about systemic racism and other forms of oppression is that over time, you end up, you end up in a space where I don't know where I learned that certain groups of people are dangerous, but I know it. And I know that if I say that that group is, is coming towards me, law enforcement will react a certain way. So when we're talking about systemic racism, I think it goes all the way from those blatant forms of discrimination, i.e. residential schools, but more subtly, it can sometimes be about a lot versus a little. And when you constantly see certain groups of people in negative ways, that makes an imprint and it influences how you behave, whether you know it or not.
And similarly, when you don't see groups of people in certain settings, for example, elected officials or in boardrooms or in management or leadership positions, that makes an imprint too. So I think the difference between systemic racism versus day-to-day -day racism, which is equally appalling, they're all bad, is that one is not necessarily in your conscious awareness, Nate, okay. but it has the power to influence and impact your life day to day. Okay. But like I said, the effect is, and it's not just on people of color, but I think it's around non-racialized people as well, is that folks may not even be aware sometimes <laughs> of, of what's going on around them or be able to tell uh, that there is an imbalance um, or that there's a problem present. Well, it's, it's interesting that you, you talk about the, the whole idea of being aware that you, you may have uh, biases towards certain groups. Like, right. very clearly in the example that you used, um, the, the, the Central Park Karen. Uh, <laughs> yes. <clears throat> she was aware of the fact that there's a, a paradigm that exists mm -hmm. that, that black men are scary. Mm -hmm. um, totally false, for the record. But that's a perception that, that a lot of people do hold. And one of the, the really fascinating things for me on this little journey with the show that I've had is when I've been talking to marginalized people, the scariest demographic that's out there is this guy. Really? Middle-aged white men. Okay. People are terrified of, of marginalized people, mm -hmm. I should say. Um, I'm, I'm sure there's lots of white people who are scared of me because of tattoos and stuff. But, um, <laughs> the I, to be fair, I've always known you to be nothing but a gentleman well, and, and a really nice guy. So. <laughs> but the the perception, we sat down with uh, a member of the LGBTQ community mm -hmm. a couple months ago, and I appreciated how candid she was that in regards to who she's most on guard with, mm -hmm. it's middle-aged white men. And I think that speaks to the fact that there is so much power that's been consolidated by middle-aged white men um, that people who have experienced depression are automatically more cautious. Hmm. Uh, and I think that there's probably significantly more validity in, in sort of that outlook than, oh, it's a black guy walking his dog. He's probably going to try to do something terrible. Um, so it's just an interesting mm -hmm. how, how backwards it appears to be. Right. right. And, and, you know, Nate, I, I think just to build on that point, um, I, I certainly don't, like I said, two things can be true at once, and we do need to be denouncing and, and taking corrective action to address racism that happens on the interpersonal level as well as the systemic level. Yeah. My challenge to people watching your program, though, is to move beyond just wanting to address it at the interpersonal level. People should absolutely be kind and compassionate and civil and decent one-to-one. And what might happen if people think beyond the interpersonal aggressions? This is, this is where I really want to hear sort of your, sure. your thoughts on this. Because one of the areas that this middle-aged white guy sees the conversation falling down to some degree, uh, looking at the hearings that the city of Calgary held, for example, uh, I think that those, those hearings where they allowed people to come and share their individual experiences with racism is is critical. I think it's something that people need to hear a lot more about. But what I wanted to hear out of that, that I maybe I missed it, um, but that I didn't hear was, okay, so 
there's no question Canada has a problem with uh, interpersonal relation, uh, interpersonal racism, as you called it, as well as systemic racism. Mm -hmm. So the the question that I want to know the answer to is what's next? How do we right. how do we, we have this problem? Well, what do we do now? Because if we all just go, yeah, that's a problem, and we look at it, it's still a problem. It's like if my dog craps on the, the, the middle of my living room floor, I can go, oh, the dog crapped in the middle of the living room floor. But if everybody just sits on a couch and does nothing about it, there's still crap in the middle of the living room. So what I want to know is how do we get the crap out of the living room? <laughs> what? <laughs> I, I think you're going to get a lot in the comment section. <laughs> Probably. About that analogy, as you should. Okay. <laughs> No, but I see your point. I, I take your point. That's taken out of... I can see where you're going with that. You're, take, you're taking me out of context here. To be clear, the crap is the racism. Yes! To be clear, that's what the crap I'm, is. I'm, I'm giving you a hard time, mate. I'm, I'm hassling you a little bit. Because it's fun. Oh, well, it is uh, fair. And, and... Well, you know, I, I think, Nate, you, you, might be, you might be discounting the fact that um, I, I think you tried it. You, you, when we talk about systemic oppression, we're talking about social policy and processes that operate at the macro level. And you ran for office. <laughs> did. <laughs> Strong showing too, damn it. <laughs> but, you know, Nate, I, I think there's something really powerful in that. And, and part of my journey in running for office was, uh, you know, admittedly, um, I think the odds of me winning now, if I had, and somebody had bet on me, they'd be really, really rich today. Uh, but, but I was a long shot, and, and I knew that. But the reason I did it is because if we're talking about working to improve systems, and I'm an optimist in this regard, and, and I know that right now there's a lot of anger and pain out there around For sure. um, those really tough images that I know I've seen, you've seen, you've seen and I think what keeps me optimistic to your point is that the conversation has shifted to, definitely right to people are recognizing that there's 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 crap in the, the and, <laughs> he did it again and, deliberately and, that one was on purpose <laughs> if you can't take a swing at yourself you don't get to swing at anybody else that's my rule well you know I think you, you, you took one of the steps, Nate, around what can you do, is you tried to become a part of the system because there were things that you valued and believed in and you wanted to have your voice be at the table. Now, to be fair, uh, we, I think we were both, I don't think we lost, we were second place runners up. Is that, how, is that a nice way of saying we I, came in third? I came in third, yeah. <laughs> okay, see, we were second place runners up. But the point... But first with heart. <laughs> but we tried really hard, yeah. But, but I think that, you know, for me, the reason I got involved in, in politics is, is not necessarily because I thought I was going to win, but because I wanted on one minute on election night for young women and, and men and people of all gender persuasions and colors to see that you can do this. There's more talent and passion and good ideas for community and i know this sounds trite but they really do come in all shapes sizes ages and colors of the rainbow and if we're wanting to make a mark and move the needle with systems then that means you need different people not only working outside of them to affect change and i absolutely think that activism plays such a critical role 
And if we're talking about movement around race, uh, I wouldn't be here, you and I wouldn't be here engaging with each other in this way were it not for the sacrifice and and passion of activists and activisms, sure. right? And 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 I think those those images of the civil rights movement, you know, as a kid, I, I grew up in a family where I was exposed to those images of this is what previous generations have done for you, so you can have the opportunities that you do. And I do think that I forget who the author is, but they said something to the effect of I'm probably gonna get this wrong, but outside of the system, inside the system, doesn't matter as long as you're working to make the system better or change. Okay. And so I think part of it requires activism, but part of it also requires people to start joining those systems and having their voices heard. So I do think that when we talk about representation and visibility, um, people like me, people like you, um, different voices, people with different professional experiences, uh, we need to have those voices well represented in government uh, and not just one kind of government, one level, but all different levels of government. And we need to have that diversity of thought represented uh, where those discussions around social policy are happening. Simply having a person of a different background in the room who's not typically there can have a huge impact and help to enrich conversation. I honestly think that for the most part, most people in our community are doing the best that they can with what they know. Mm -hmm. Which is why for me, um, I've made choices to try and give back to my community in the ways that I can, Nate. One of that was running for office. And I'm glad I did because I reached my goal. For one minute on election night, yeah. young women who look like me got to see themselves on TV. Exactly. And she will run again and she will win eventually. And because she's there, things will be different. And in the same way my parents said, you need to learn this, you need to see this. And the needle did move. Change never happens as quickly as we want it to, but it's still happening. What's that expression? Politics is the, the slow boring of hard boards. Uh, <laughs> I've not heard that. Uh, That's cool. Yeah. But I think that it also represents how any kind of substantive change happens. Um, one of the, the things that I'm cautious about mm -hmm. in regards to the, the protests that we've seen is it's very easy to hold a belief in a group. Mm. Um, and especially when some people might consider it to be, I'll use the word fashionable. Just let's really fill the comment section up here. Um, <laughs> but I think for, for, for some people, being able to say, I went to a, 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 a protest involving race um, and a protest against racism is a little bit of a, a merit badge that they mm. can say that they had. Uh, and, and one of the things that, that I'm interested in exploring is how do we make those uh, those group decisions hmm. translate into the the smaller decisions where if I'm with a group of 50 people and some people and someone says something racist it's really easy for me with 49 people behind me to go hey you're a jerk um, and you're wrong um, but if it's just me mm -hmm. and there's a group of maybe two people Right. who are, are saying or doing things that are profoundly prejudiced, whether mm -hmm. we're talking about towards specific races or towards uh, different sexualities, whatever, whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. How do we get people to the place where they're able to say as a single individual, what you just said is not okay? 
I mean, that's really hard because in that scenario, sometimes when you're in those smaller settings and you hear or see something that's inappropriate, I think it's very easy to imagine challenging problematic behavior when it's in an adversarial context, if that makes sense. But that's when, where I eat, so. <laughs> but what if, it's, what if it's at a family gathering and the person who's made the comment is a relative and somebody you care about? Yeah. Right? I think then it becomes harder, Nate, the closer um, that person is to you. You know, I think you're talking about that bystander versus upstander culture. Ooh, uh, I like that. Yeah, and, and, and I think, Nate, what I've observed over the years, um, and I think there's room for multiple voices, which I think you, you were getting at in your interview, of there's many levers that we can pull <laughs> to combat racism. What I've observed, though, over the years, though, Nate, is that while there are some people who harbor really, really troubling beliefs, mm -hmm. the vast majority of people can and do change when they have a felt experience with an issue and when they're able to empathize with people they don't understand. Okay. I was watching a news story about gay marriage and when that was still, well, I don't live in the United States so I can't speak to whether it's a less polarizing issue now, but um, a couple of election cycles ago there was people trying to enlist support in their communities when the, when the issue was on the ballot. Mm -hmm. and. Um, I remember watching a news story where they said one of the most effective tools that they could use to help people have a more compassionate perspective to the issue was when they had volunteers go door knocking. Hopefully that, you know, door knocking, I remember that. Uh, but they would actually have somebody who was door knocking who identified themselves as gay and said, can I tell you how this issue is affecting me? Okay. Now I'm certainly not advocating that when we're talking about racism, those who are racialized are constantly in a position They're of having to, to educate. Yeah, it, you know, sometimes racialized people just want to just have a day. Yeah, have moments where where pieces of their identity aren't necessarily um, requiring them to justify or explain. But um, I, I think that the vast majority of people, Nate, do do want to be experienced as kind and compassionate um, and they do the best with what they know and I think to be fair remember how I said issues around race it's a little or a lot mm -hmm. for, for folks who've grown up in environments and I'll, I'll share this story for example um, I teach at the university part-time and at the end of semester it was the last class and some young women stuck stuck around just to say goodbye and one of them was was black and she said just so you know you're the first black teacher I've ever had and it was a really cool experience <laughs> and, and and you know I, I thought to myself that's unique feedback <laughs> but, but you know it, it occurred to me um, that that Can was I ask what you were teaching I was teaching nursing and social work students okay yeah and um, it was a surprise for me to hear because she's she's obviously younger than me, and um, and I thought, wow, we're still in a context where having a black instructor is unusual, and it got me thinking about for how many people have I been their first black supervisor or their first black therapist or their first black manager, and until you have those experiences sometimes you genuinely don't know what it's like and you don't know how you're going to react and so 
Um, I, I think that as we move forward, Nate, in calling people, not necessarily out, but calling them in and saying, can, can, okay. I, t- can I tell you a bit about how that landed with me? Like a joke. I think, and, and we often pass, oh, I was just kidding, but sometimes I'm like, now what about that comment merited the status of a joke? Do you know what I well, mean? Was it, was it funny, I think, would be the first question. Was it funny, or was it just kind of a mean-spirited remark about somebody because they happen to be of a certain race, gender, or sexual orientation? So I, I don't think there's anything wrong with gently highlighting for somebody. Can I tell you how I heard that? I often work from the premise that for many people, they are blissfully unaware of how what they're saying is read by somebody different because they haven't had the life experience made or they haven't received the feedback um, or they genuinely thought it was okay and it was a joke because they've never heard otherwise. I think those are the moments that are really rich and you did door knocking. You know what it was like to try and connect with somebody in 30 seconds or less. And when you know what's important, I was really bad at the 30-second rule. <laughs> I think my record was like 49 minutes at one door because I was confronted with just so much. Oh wow! I'll use the word ignorance, and I'm just not wired in a way that I was able to be like, "All right, you're wrong. Goodbye." <laughs> but you know what was interesting, and and I'll comment on that because I think it dials into our conversation. Is when I made the decision to run. Um, I didn't know what that was going to be like for people because for many people, I think I was the first black woman who they had seen run for office. And so they were telling the truth and their reactions to me were genuine when they were like, this is weird. So, so for, for many people, when I had those response, and I want to be clear, people, people didn't say anything that was blatantly racist. But you know how there's a vibe sometimes where you can tell people are looking at you like, like this is odd. And... And I did get feedback from a few folks that this was their first time encountering somebody like me in that process. And, you know, um, as exhausting as it was to have those conversations, it was important. And I remember after um, a town hall or a, a community forum, uh, a woman did come up and said, you're about the most different person I've ever seen run for office. And normally, I wouldn't see myself supporting somebody like you. But in hearing you talk, I liked what you had to say. And you've challenged me. Now, I, I'll be honest, like I said, some days that got really exhausting and fatiguing, but I also think that working from a place of wanting to relate and connect yeah. allows me to let go of the anger and judgment that I think could result in me responding to that in a more hostile way. Um, I, I really try and adopt... Um, like, I don't know why, but I'm thinking of mindfulness, which is <laughs> beginner's mind, which is just approaching situations from a place of, of non-judgment and just trying to understand what's real for you, what's real for me, and where can we engage somewhere in the middle. Um, and I find it quite helpful, particularly in these times when there's a lot of pain and a lot of anger and frustration. I want things to change too, right? Yeah. Um, I remember being, it must have been 12 years old or 11, and, and the Rodney King um, tapes. And, and to a certain extent, you know, seeing George Floyd, it brought back not old memories, but it brought back all the active memories of, of the build-up. And this isn't an isolated incident and, and feeling fatigued and tired and frustrated. But for me, what keeps me going in the process is the belief that people can and do change. And we do see movement on issues. I never thought I'd see a black president in my lifetime. Really? See, and that's, that's part of where there's... 
and this is why I really appreciate you being willing to have this conversation. Yeah, sure. Um, I hope I'm not boring you. No, 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 no. Or, or sounding too naive. No, but, but not this at is, all. This is real for me. I, I, um, I believe in, in resilience and I believe in, in the power of change. The, the fascinating thing for me is that, that I, because of who I am and how I present myself in most situations, um, I'm a very strong personality, let's say. <laughs> Uh, no. It's, it, I've been told. Um, and secondary to that, uh, I, I'm a bit of a, a misanthrope at, at my soul's core. Uh, I like being at home. I, I like not... I, when, when there's work that's presented in front of me that I, I look at and I go, ah, somebody's got to do something about that, then I'll go and do the thing. Mm -hmm. But if, if, there's, if everything's good, I'll, I'm happy to just sit at home playing my guitar. Unfortunately, we don't live in those times, uh, and certainly the more aware that I've become of the times that we're living in, the more I go, it's probably not going to happen anytime soon. Um, but the the fascinating thing for me over the last three years in particular has been as I've engaged more with people outside of my social circle, mm -hmm. uh, and as I've engaged more with uh, people that i wouldn't normally engage with. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been shocked at the, the comfort level that people have with me because I'm the middle-aged white guy. So I must be okay with, with you know, uh, one of, going back to the door knocking thing. Let's, well, let's do that. Uh, I was staggered uh, the number of times that we encountered overt uh, racism. Mm -hmm. I was asked at more than one door what I was going to do to make the neighborhood white again. Mm. Um, and I don't think that those people would be comfortable or so bold or audacious or whatever word we want to use to ask that question of someone who's not a middle-aged white guy. Um, so there's, that's, there's, there's so many layers to the onion. Um, oh, oh, to totally, and, and I'm, I'm sorry to hear. <laughs> that was one of the 47-minute doors, because I was just like, you can't say that. Like, that's, that's totally unacceptable. And I, I do recognize that yeah. I come from a fairly significant place of privilege, because I am a, a strong personality. I am a middle-aged white guy. And so there are people who will choose not to escalate with me mm -hmm. that might choose to escalate with somebody who doesn't come from that same background, which to me is terrible, to be clear. Um, but I think it's also a, a reality. How do we, how do you see mm -hmm. the, the, I'm going to use the term uh, entrenched uh, racists. <laughs> um, oh, wow. <laughs> I'll be bold. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't expect anything but me. <laughs> How, how do we, like, is there value in trying to reach those entrenched racists or do we just have to wait for them to die? Like, how do we deal with that piece of our society? Because it is a very real part of our society and until we figure out how to mitigate the, the power and the influence that they hold, especially in regards to the context, context of systemic racism, mm -hmm. how, do we, how, do you, how do you deal with that? Well, you know, this, I, I think this is me drawing from... Um 
when I still worked as a therapist, um, you know, we, we talked about the notion of change versus acceptance. And we okay. would invite people to think about when you're confronted with a problem, is this a problem where you would do well to actively try and change it? Or is it about figuring out how do I tolerate this in a way that keeps me safe and grounded? And um, I think without a doubt, um, Nate, there are people, and you and I both know this, um, I, I've been on the receiving end of, of really mean-spirited <laughs> comments. Mm-hmm. Um, and as, as, as diverse as our community is, there's, there's lots of times where I'm the only black face <laughs> in, in the crowd, which, uh, which for some invites the reactions that you just shared. You know, I, I don't think there's a monolithic answer, Nate. I, I think um, I, I really try to operate from a place of people are doing the best that they can with what they know and what they have available to them. I think most people are. Yeah, and for some folks, Nate, those walls of self-protection and... You know, I, I think most human behavior, we engage in behaviors that meet a need for us. And for some folks, um, thinking of groups of people in really harsh, inhumane, demeaning ways meets a need for them. Some of those people, I think, you can reach, Nate, but that is when they are open to it and want okay. to have the conversation. Um, I don't believe in blaming or shaming anybody um, because... You know, at the risk of sounding trite, that golden rule of putting out into the ether how you want other people to treat you mm-hmm. is really important. And I think that if we want to broaden the conversation, like I said, there's many levers we can pull. Some of it is protesting. And I think there's people who have done an exceptional job of being visible and and making this issue something um, that folks are seeing on the news or seeing in front of their in, the, in front of their homes. I think there's other people who are choosing to do mentorship and prepare the next generation of strong leaders to step up and do the work that we want to see them do on boards and in senior leadership levels, in think tanks, running for office, sitting on those councils, sitting around the table and joining those discussions where important decisions are made (laughs) that impact people's day-to-day life, though not minute to minute. Social policies that work for everybody. Social policies that make sure people have access to the resources that they need to thrive. And and I think that there's different ways that we can do that. Now, on an interpersonal level, Nate, if you're asking, do I think that people should have an argument with somebody who has fairly entrenched um, ideas about racism? It depends. In the same way that I think um, believing... I mean, racism is by its definition an an irrational fear Mm -hmm. um, of a group of people based on their race. And, and, And fear is one of those emotions where it's hard to reason somebody out of feeling afraid. Mm -hmm. But what we can do is continue to present people with facts. And I think we know that emotional appeals, that gets you so far. Mm -hmm. But then after a while, it really becomes about um, things you know to be true. And, and, and I think that sometimes those experiences um, are more impactful than an argument. This is where one of the, the key questions that I have that mm-hmm. I'd like to get your take on kind of comes into play. Sure. Because I think, from my perspective, which is what it is, yes. um, 
I look at both advocacy mm-hmm. uh, or, or anti-racist advocacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I look at that in the same light that I look at uh, behaviors that may be perceived as potentially racist. Um, and it kind of goes back to what you said about the, the joke thing. Mm-hmm. So if, I mean, my, my first question, any time that I'm, I'm making bad jokes, because I make a lot of them, <laughs> is first of all, what's my audience? Right. So for example, with my wife, mm-hmm. she knows how much satire rolls around in my head. And she knows that I will say things um, to her mm-hmm. that I would not say to anyone else because right. she can see the context yeah. that I'm doing it in because she knows me, she knows how dark this little heart is. Um, that being said, mm-hmm. it, having those some of those jokes in my back pocket, I'm very, very conscious about who I will make what jokes right. with people yeah. because there are some people who I don't think know me well enough or they they don't know my intent well enough Mm -hmm. to see no that's a joke right um there's there's no shortage of humorists who on stage will say things Mm -hmm. that they would never ever ever say in the context of a a personal conversation to somebody that they've never met before Mm -hmm. because you lack the context of this is a joke Mm -hmm. at the same time the 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 behaviors that some people perceive as racist, mm. I think very often come from a place of a lack of awareness mm. of what the audience is. Right. Um, and so I'm curious for, for you, mm-hmm. because your experiences on this particular subject matter <laughs> carry a hell of a lot more weight than mine, um, how much in an interaction with somebody, whether or not it's uh, them wanting to advocate mm-hmm. or whether or not it's them potentially saying or doing something racist mm-hmm. or prejudiced how much does intent measure into that for you hmm. that's a really tough question nate well we try to balance out like the, the <laughs> crap on the living room floor with some deep stuff otherwise yeah well okay um You know, um, I I think, and 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 I hope it doesn't seem like I'm dodging your your question, but there's a really neat book called Becoming an Ally, and the author, Anne Bishop, um, she makes she has this idea that even if you're not a perpetrator, there's probably times where you've been a perpetuator, and you've inadvertently done something okay. that may have caused harm or reinforced an unhelpful dynamic. Um, but you may not have been coming from a place where that was your intention. And so, you know, at, at the end of the day, Nate, um, I think that along the way, um, people may engage in behaviors that inadvertently perpetuate um, difficulty or cause harm. I also think that as we try and advance um, progress around an issue like racism, like like there's no I, I think when it comes to issues like racism who's the author i think it's audra lord she says there's no single um there's no single solutions for a single issue because we don't lead single issue lives or something like that but but the point being um the complexity of an issue sometimes frames the complexity of the solution and racism is a messy 
issue and thus as we try and work at it I think sometimes there will be messiness that accompanies <laughs> making it better um, so you know I, I think if you're asking me if, if somebody does something and their intent is not to be racist but it's experienced as racist you know what do we do with that and for me the question is always what's what's the end outcome that I want to get to so if, okay. you, if you said something to me Nate yeah I feel like you let me know well, well, if you said something to me and I'm like, that was kind of weird, um, would, would, would I call you a racist? Probably not. Would I tell you that here's the deal? <laughs> like, that was super sketchy to me. Yes, I would. Yeah, I would but, hope so. But, but would I cancel you? Um, no. Okay. Be, be, because this is a big issue and it's filled with a lot of pain. There's no easy answers to it, and so I think we should expect along the way as we get to a place where things are better, and we will get there, I yeah. know that. We've, we've moved towards that. Um, I, I think sometimes um, we, need to, we need to acknowledge um, the bigger picture and, and other people's humanity along the way, and people make mistakes. People make yeah. mistakes. The the I guess the context that I'm I'm I'll, I'll, narrow you, it down for me. Okay, so dog crap in the middle of the living room. Um, <laughs> it did not occur to me as I was using that metaphor for even a second that anyone would take <laughs> the. You're gonna find out. <laughs> oh no, clearly. I, well, I did, and I, I appreciate that you were like. Oh, that might mean more than you think it does, or might somebody might take that in a different way. Than you never you know. Exactly. <laughs> but that's my point. I mean, I, I think that, that that whole conversation is is an excellent sort of microcosm for how I would like things to go. Because I said a thing, and I, I feel like you knew exactly what my intent yes, was, of course, yeah. but because there was some ambiguity for how other people might receive that, you were mm -hmm. like, you might want to clarify that a little bit there, yeah. guy. And I did. And I feel like he said cautiously having not put this video up and seen the comment section yet that most people who saw that conversation in its entirety would go oh yeah racism was totally the poo mm -hmm. um, but I, I think that if we don't let ourselves have that full conversation then we're doing a bit of a disservice because if we like the the example that I'll use uh, let's go ahead and get contentious shall we is <laughs> is I got some pretty strong opinions about the whole gift thing. Oh, this was okay. Okay. Yes. Okay. So, so using an image of somebody from a group, others than your own. Yes. Yeah. And, and I, I still, the last thing that I want to do is hurt anyone. Um, the last thing that I want to do is, uh, cause them to experience some trauma more than just the inherent trauma that Twitter provides, because God knows there's plenty of that. <laughs> but the... <laughs> Social media is tough. It is. But at the same time, like, since I had that conversation... Yeah. What, how, what feedback did you get? Mixed, to be honest okay. with you. I, I got... Uh, I, I received messages from people all across the spectrum, I'll mm. say. And a lot of people were saying like I said earlier, it's the intent that matters. If you're using that GIF in a, in a way that is denigrating any specific group, um, then yeah, that's not your place. Uh, and that's bad. And I would agree because I think that's just prejudice and racist. Mm -hmm. um, 
but there were also quite a few people who expressed, uh, and not just white folks, uh, (laughs) who expressed that if your intent is good and you're not making a mockery of the thing, Mm -hmm. um, then that's okay. But again, it comes back to sort of the the idea that I said earlier about, well, when you're making a joke, you have to be cognizant to some degree of Mm -hmm. what your audience is. And that's really challenging on social media because I can put a tweet out that I send specifically to you, Mm -hmm. but there's a good chance that somebody else is going to see it and go, oh, I don't like that either. Um, (laughs) You know, the GIF GIF was an interesting, um, that was an interesting topic. Uh, my partner and I had to talk about that, as did a friend of of mine. We, we, we talked about the GIF. And, and I think, you know, um, here's what I'll say, Nate, is first of all, um, I, I think if, if other, if other uh, black women gave you feedback um, around, sure. around yep. that issue. And like I said, I have been policing myself since then. <laughs> Um, if, if other black women gave you feedback about about the gif and, and and I think there were concerns about what that meant um, it's it's I, I, I totally believe that there's um, a grain of truth in what everybody has to say yep. um, I think as somebody who knows you not not very well but somebody who knows what you try and do You're and pretty transparent and, and but I think as well knowing knowing that issues of, of inclusion and equity and community I, I I think that you know you you've put in a lot of work to create these conversations and stimulate dialogue. And so um, I, I think what's more important for me, as I told you, I'm always focused on where are we headed. And the fact that you and um, the very accomplished women that you interviewed, because mm-hmm. uh, I, you know, I, I think the role that activism has played over the last few months has just, like, like well, I, can't, I can't say enough. I, I went to one of the vigils um, that I believe they were hosting and, and facilitating, and it was an amazing experience for the city. Um, and I think that those events have offered hope and healing at a really difficult time. So, um, you know, I, I think that the feedback that they gave you was important. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you're likely to hear a diversity of responses. And and not not everybody is going to agree with what they Boy, shared. Boy, howdy! With you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and not, not everybody is going to agree, but I think that what was important is that that interchange between the three of you got people talking yeah. about the issue. Yeah. And I think as it relates to moving the needle, because of that conversation about gifts, you may invite somebody who's at work in an office environment to get a gift, and maybe they will go to their colleague and say, can I tell you, like, I'm not sure that you should have sent that, man. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, totally. And so I, there, there was good that came out of that interchange, and I think it was important feedback for you to for you to receive, and I think it was equally important um, for you to share your perspective on let me tell you what it meant when I posted that gift. Yeah. I'm I'm a Luddite, Nate, so <laughs> so so, and, and I don't mean that disparagingly, but but I'm I'm not a tech person, mm. and I'm not good on social media insofar as you mentioned having a, a pantry and account and all that. Um, these are spaces that I'm patron. Patron. I mean, a pantry account, but I'm sure would be nice as well. I, I, don't I, know still, I still, I still don't know what ticking and talking or snapping and chatting are, and I don't know if I need to know. You know, like the second someone like me starts doing it, it becomes uncool because I'm, I'm ancient history now. But, but, but I think you know, around intent, Nate. I, like I said, as long as you've got human beings in the mix, nobody's perfect. Yes. And so, 
you're likely to make things, you're likely to engage in behaviors that looking back you would say, I would have done that differently. But I think similarly, the way people interpret things is going to evolve as well. And people may look back and say, the way that I labeled and understood that has changed. Yeah. So I, I think with intent, I, I think there's got to be space for people to experiment with new behaviors. Like, you know, in the communications course I teach, we talk about how when you're learning a new skill, the first step on the ladder is awkwardness. <laughs> Nobody gets to be good at combating complex social issues overnight. Yeah. We all get better and grow as, as we go along. Yeah. Um, one of the other things that I'd like to sort of get your your take on, because I think that there's, like I said, I don't, I don't believe that to, to represent the viewpoints of any group as homogenous is, is productive. Sure. Um, so the, the next thing that I kind of like to get your take on is, is the whole, what does appropriation look like to you? <laughs> Cultural appropriation? Yeah. Oh, that, that's a tough one, mate. Um... Like how do you how do you delineate between um, uh, somebody who is enjoying <laughs> an element of another culture that's not their own, right? Um, and somebody who is trying to present themselves as inappropriately <laughs> being from that culture. So, like, uh, what's her name? Denazel from the states there, who was the the white labor? Oh, like that's uh, appropriation. I don't think that's up Ra for any. Rachel, Rachel, yeah, Denazel, yeah, 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 or yeah, yeah she's like, with the NAACP. Yeah, yeah. like that's yeah. appropriation. If you're if you're white and you're saying that you're black, I think you're appropriating. I feel like that's a pretty clear example. Right. But there's a whole lot of gray in between. I'm gonna straight up pretend to be black when I'm not, and well, yeah. I like Public Enemy. <laughs> So do I, and, and so so I will say this, in part of the, and, and Nate and I haven't seen each other in, in close to a year in person, but um, we both love music. Yeah. <laughs> I was honestly, because your punk rock background, I was like trying to get my hands on a Bad Brains t-shirt, because normally, <laughs> normally I wear like the, the political satire t-shirts, but I was like, man, if I can get my hands on a Bad Brains t-shirt, that would kick ass, but I couldn't get one, so. Well, so, so Nate and I both love music, and you're more of a punk rock guy, yeah. fair to say, and and my grandma, um, who passed away a couple of years ago, but I'm, I'm actually of um, blended origin, if you will. So my okay. mom's Chinese and my dad's black. And my grandmother on my mom's side actually bought me my first Public Enemy CD for Christmas. And so um, <laughs> the, 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 the influence of hip hop in my life started at an early age and from some sources you wouldn't have typically expected, but you know, I think when it comes to cultural appropriation, here's the thing. Um, I think that black culture is just so rich and amazing. It, it, you can't talk about music and not talk about black culture. I get why people connect with so many elements of, of black culture and, and I get it. The, the literature, the art and, and, and I think obviously black culture entails more than just our contribution to pop culture, but um, the influence of African-American people, Afro-Caribbean people, just the black culture broadly across the world, it is rich and beautiful. And so to, to that end, I get why people who 
live and identify outside of that culture would want to be a part of it. I think where it gets complicated is um, when it feels like it's a commodity that is consumed and disposed of when it's no longer um, pleasing okay. to the consumer. So I, you know, I, I have no issue with people enjoying black music. Where it gets tough, though, is when you see folks. Um, you know, I, I I don't want to talk about Colin Kaepernick and all that because I think that that's another sit down for you to have with, <laughs> with, with some. I'll, I'll just say I won't talk about that, but. But I think that that did raise some really good issues of, so you've got this league that generates a lot of profit for folks. And when you have athletes um, that are of a certain color and then the language of owners um, and ownership, um, I I think there is some sensitivity built in um, and understandably so about parts being consumed and then um, people divesting themselves of those parts when it's not convenient. With that being said, I think I think there's so much richness um, around us. We, we, we have to be measured and understanding, and again, um, I think maintain a balanced perspective. Now, are there people who have profited off of the work of black folks and maybe not been there for the hard times? A hundred percent. And that needs to be named and, and changed uh, when that occurs. Have we also seen white folks acknowledge that they have Profited and benefited from black culture. Sure, you know, I was surprised. Justin Bieber, um, and I'm—I I don't think I'm his core audience member or his core demographic. I'm definitely not. I, <laughs> I'll I, own that right out of the gate. I, I, I mean, he's, he's had a couple of cool songs. I'll be honest; they're on my iPod right now. I don't. I don't have any of his stuff on my. Well, you should check out his track. <laughs> you should check out his new album. It's cool, man. Okay. Um, but but he he tweeted that he has benefited from. African-American producers, African-American influences on his music, and he has directly benefited from that. And I think he did a social media post to that effect, saying, where would I be without black culture? And so I think part of it, Nate, is helping people recognize when they need to be more aware of how they have benefited from black culture. And I think as long as there's the acknowledgement of that and a respect for the people who are producing the work and producing all this awesome Eminem would not be Eminem without Dre. There's no question about that. And anybody who argues it is just wrong. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know what's really interesting is I think in recent years he has become incredibly vocal about issues around race. Yeah. And, and I think it's awesome that artists like him are doing that. So I, I, I don't know. What else have you got for me, Nate? The, well, I mean, how, how, how into the weeds do you want to get here? Uh, the, one of the, <laughs> the big things... And this was one of the big pieces of feedback that we got coming out of the Black Lives Matter interview. And again, I am not in any way trying to invalidate those perspectives, to be clear. Um, Non-homogenous opinions. Um, But one of the questions that I tried to ask that I don't know that I got a concise answer to that I'd like to run by you is one of the fears that I think... um, some white folks uh, deal with and have difficulty, I'm not going to say deal with, have difficulty navigating, is the fear that I'm afraid that if I misstep, mm-hmm. I'm going to get hit hard, so I don't know what to do. What would you say to somebody who's wanting to 
help move the needle forward in regards to systemic racism, individual racism, but who's afraid that if they go about doing it the wrong way, uh, their intent won't be recognized. Right. Uh, and and they'll, they'll in some way be, be penalized from that. Yeah. How, what would you say to somebody who's dealing with those that sort of internal conflict? Um... I... I think that part of what comes with stepping into the space of, of solutions and getting active is you need to you need to anticipate that you probably will make mistakes mm -hmm. and that will bring about difficult feelings and you should keep trying to be helpful anyways. Okay. Because that discomfort, I think it's, and, and to be fair, I, I think I see your point and that we have seen some people who have, you know, we've seen celebrities who have tried to make a comment and then holy, holy Hannah, yeah. have they received negative feedback. But I think that, um, I think that if the goal is, like if a person is saying, I, I want to join this, I want to join this process, I want to be a part of the solution, um, go into it, I think eyes wide open, expect that you probably will feel uncomfortable, expect that you probably will get some kind of constructive challenge mm -hmm. <laughs> about how you, the perpetuation, right? Remember yeah. how I said, you, you may not be a perpetrator, but you might inadvertently perpetuate something unhelpful. Be open to that feedback, notice the discomfort, and keep pressing forward and trying to do better. Okay. You have to grow. Um, I, I think that there's... I don't know if it's realistic to expect that you're going to be a part of generating solutions around such a, a complicated, painful issue and not yourself have to experience some measure of discomfort. And I would say that sometimes experiencing discomfort makes us actually better allies or upstanders or accomplices. I, I think that those those moments of holy, you know, I, <laughs> I I just received feedback that what I did was othering, or I took the focus away from a person um, whose voice needed to be heard. Learn from that and grow from that, and do better tomorrow. Okay. Can't change it, but the good thing about history is that you can add to it. Okay. Do you think that there's the the question that I want to ask is is do you think that there's value in sourcing out as many different opinions from people within that racialized group um, to find out, did I just run into an angry person? Did I, did I misstep hugely? Um, <laughs> is, is there, a, like there's a pretty big space in between um, those two spaces or those two points. Right. Do you think that there's value in, one of the concerns that I have Mm -hmm. um, to be to be very direct, one of the things that I was really uncomfortable with with the conversation that that I had was the comments that implied that any racialized people who did not share those views uh, were still slaves. Um, oh, I didn't catch that. Okay. Yeah, I asked at one point, and they said, "Well, I could have freed so many more people if if they'd only known that they were slaves." And that to me is an incredibly dangerous argument to wield. And I would really like to hear your thoughts on it because <laughs> I'm obviously, again, I recognize in, in, in the context of that conversation, mm -hmm. probably the least experienced demographic <laughs> that there could be. Um, but 
what, what's what's your take on that? Like, what, if if we if we start to throw down absolutes in these complex conversations, are is that necessary? Do you think? Like, am I missing something? Um. Well, I you know, first of all, I think that that interview that you had. Um, was a really good one because I wouldn't be here with you now had you not interviewed exactly, those ladies. Exactly, and I think that this is allowing us to that interview allowed us to explore a lot. more And I think things. you should have more black women on. I know I'm, I'm all biased. up for it. I, and and maybe you should have all three of us back. Um, well, and, that would be fun. Yeah, yeah, and and I think um, I I so so sorry I didn't catch that. I watched most of the interview, but that must have been a piece. It was um, a long one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'll be honest. I had it on in the background, so I was non-mindful when I had it on. But um, you know, I, <laughs> I, I think um, so. First of all, uh, it's not my place to um, challenge another black person's opinion. No, and opinion. that's not what I'm asking you to no, do. No, no, not at all. And 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 I don't hear the question that you're asking in that way. But I just wanted to clarify because yeah. uh, I, I want to be clear on on my position. Um, you know, I, I I think it's it's a really interesting issue that you've raised and. And I think what I would say is that um, I would agree that black people do have a shared experience of blackness insofar as we know what it's like to have people come to judgments about you because you're black. Um, I would also say (laughs) that it's really challenging to be a part of a racialized group in that in my experience people don't necessarily understand that even within a group that might have one common experience there's still diversity within um that group and so you know i I think that the comment um as you've explained it to me is certainly an interesting one okay um you know i I think i think what i would say is this Nate. um and going back to when i ran for office i actually got feedback for people you're running for the wrong party you should be running for this party because they're the party that best represents the, the, the perspective of women and, and racialized groups. And I said, you know, I, I hear you. <laughs> Such a great way to start a response. I hear you. And, and let me tell you how the assumption that all black folks should vote for a certain party because that party is perceived to have our best interests at, at play. Um, and it has nothing to do with the party they thought I should have ran for. But I would tell folks, let me tell you how that perspective is kind of racist. Yeah. And and, and I think that what's really, really cool um, is that we're starting to see a greater appreciation that diversity and an appreciation of diversity doesn't just mean acceptance and celebration of people around race, but also an acceptance and celebration of recognizing that groups of people can be nuanced and diverse um, within that community. And so um, if some black people have that perspective, um, I respect it. I would say it doesn't necessarily fit for me and that's okay. Yeah. And I think that it's great um, for, for the divergence of opinions um, to be given a platform and, and oxygen. So. So um, I, I think you should have all of us back together. Um, I will. I will. Ex- I don't know if they'll come back. I will extend the invitation. <laughs> um, don't be so hard on yourself. I, I, I think they might. And, and clearly that interview. I would, I would hope so. I would love. I would love to because this is one of the the 
the challenges that I see in our national conversation, mm -hmm. and I'll, I'll pivot to First Nations on this, is the notion that all First Nations people think the same thing, because you could not be farther from the truth if you tried. Um, and I think that that principle applies to any demographic. So mm -hmm. to, to say that all white people think the same thing is, is profoundly ignorant. <laughs> to say that all black people think the same thing is profoundly ignorant. If we don't allow the space for these nuanced conversations, then all we're doing is building more walls under the guise of tearing them down. And I don't see that as, you know, we're just well, playing Tetris at a certain point. But isn't, so I'm sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, I, no. I'm just thinking the CPC leadership race resolves this weekend, yeah? Mm -hmm. And isn't one of the, I, I think mm -hmm. right now there's a very interesting race where one of the finalists, I shouldn't say finalists, it's not like that, but, but one of the candidates who's, who's doing very, very well yeah, is, black is, a black, is a black woman. Yep. And, um, you know, I, I remember in Manitoba, their last election, they had their first black people get elected uh, provincially. And, and I'll be honest, that was emotional for me to watch. And... I celebrated mm -hmm. all of the black people who got elected that night. It was more important to me to see that the political landscape of that province was changing than it was to celebrate one voice over another because it tended to align with me more so ideologically. Yeah. And, and I celebrated all three. And I think on my Twitter, that was one of the rare nights I was active. Um, I did say, isn't it great that these three people uh, got elected because what it means is that there's space now yeah and um, I celebrate the voices and contributions um, of black people and and I, I totally appreciate that there's diversity within a community so I I think what an interesting statement you know I, I'd love to know more about where they were coming from around that I'd, I'd love to hear more about that perspective uh, it, it came as a response to me saying the wettest thing that I said in an interview, which I prefaced by saying, this is going to be the wettest thing that I say. Um, <laughs> so you kind of set yourself oh, up. Oh, no. I, I, <laughs> but I think that you have to, like, one of the ways that I like to ask questions, cultural questions, um, is to say, I got a stupid white person question to ask you. Because <laughs> there, there are things that I don't know. I, I meant what I said earlier, Nate, that I think you need to have... Have, keep having discussions about um, systemic racism on on your program, and, and I'm oh, we're going to, and and I think you I think you should have multiple people on at the same time. I, I really do. I, I think there's some, there, I think something really cool could happen if you like. Have you done that before? Have you had a panel on this? No, but I was actually just going to say that'd be uh, awesome. I was, I was going to throw you under the bus with that. Uh, if we I I was being helpful. were able to put together a panel. Would you be willing to be a part of that? <laughs> What's it about? <laughs> well, no, like, one, of, one of the things that I would ultimately like to see happen, uh, and I'll, this is, I'll put this out to the ether, um, is I would like to get a variety of racialized perspectives on systemic racism. Yeah, that's a great idea. And I would, like to, I would love to do a panel where we have people from the, the black community, people from the Asian community, That's people great. from the East Asian community. Yeah. Um, and I'll ask a bunch of dumb white people questions. Because uh, I'm, I'm good with that. Continue. And yeah. <laughs> it seems to be my strength anyways. Mm. Um, and 
and and see if we can have a, a, a robust conversation around that would that be something that you'd be game for yeah that 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 sounds that sounds really good and and what i like about the process that you're engaging in nate is i think the fact that you're having multiple conversations about this speaks to the fact that this is not a one conversation issue and it will take persistent attention and focus for us to move the needle and and i think my observation is anytime you know that tape with george floyd oy, oy, oy. um it was so raw and and painful to watch and what it elicited um was it mobilized people mm-hmm. and and i i really believe that um from that pain came collective action around an issue that needs action and i think the flip side of that is we have to make sure that we don't lose momentum mm-hmm. around these issues and so i think the fact that i'm going to put words in your mouth but the fact that you are committing uh, to continue using your platform oh absolutely to, to have dialogues about this and to keep the, fo- the focus and the momentum on this topic i think that's exactly the right process and it it's exactly the right that's, process that's not putting <laughs> any words in my if, if the breakdown exists for any reason it's to be able to try to facilitate more nuanced conversations of issues that people like to grossly oversimplify. Right. Now, now earlier, before the, the battery Are we going back to the dog boo now? No, we're not. <laughs> I'm going to wear that He's for like ever. He's determined to light up his own comment section. But, um, early, I think you, you had asked me, you know, something around, um, is it okay to seek out different perspectives? Yeah. Now, now, here's the thing is, is I would say, um, and this is a typical answer from a therapist, you can tell is it depends on why you're doing it. I think if you're seeking out multiple perspectives because you're thinking about an issue differently and you're curious and you want to fill your knowledge bank, then yeah, you should seek it out. If you're seeking out different opinions to validate your perspective, Mm -hmm. I think that's different. And that's why I said earlier, when you choose to say, I want to get involved, do so. And recommit to that every day, but know that there will be days, weeks, and months where you might feel a bit deflated or a bit vulnerable or a bit awkward. So I think it really, to your point about intention, it depends on your intent in seeking out the perspectives. I think I've probably said a lot of things today um, where if we did the concentric circles, it probably overlaps with a lot of other commentary on race and racism. I've also said some things that are outside of that. And you seem completely open to it. And so what I would say is there's absolutely, like this is what people need to be doing, I think, is filling up their knowledge bank um, and hearing from different folks. If the intention is every conversation makes me better and pushes me to think and informs me showing up and behaving in ways that is helpful overall. If it's just to seek out validation for I knew I was right, <laughs> like to be fair, that that's not super helpful, and I think feeds into the fatigue um, that racialized people feel sometimes. Of so I disagreed with you, and now my opinion's being discounted, and and I think that I can totally appreciate how it, it does it does boil down to your intention around why you're doing it, and I think the reason I'm here today is just to keep you're you're curious about the issue and you want to keep momentum and focus on it. And so I imagine in the coming weeks and months, Nate, you will have many people of color. Um, you will have many BIPOC community members. I, and, and you'll keep it up. So I won't be the last. 
for for what it's you here on this. no for for <laughs> for what it's worth i actually took a look at who we've interviewed over the last year and a half and like the the folks like me are definitely in the minority in the show and i think that that's important because there's no question to, in my mind that if a middle-aged white guy wants to have a platform, he can have a platform. I'm proof of that. We're on my show right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But That's true. This is not the Lana Bentley hour. <laughs> well, um, it would have been way. It would have a way different energy. I think it probably probably would. Um, <laughs> but the 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 point that I that I try to make of that is is that if 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 anyone was to ever look at the the breakdown and be like, oh, it's the white man show. Uh, I would be really alarmed by that, and I would say that we're we're not accomplishing the goal of bringing mm -hmm. more nuance to any conversation, um, because again, the the more the more that you oversimplify the issue, I think the the less you you serve. Is and Nate, I, I would challenge you in saying I think it would be wonderful to have um, black men come on and talk about their experience and cool. their perspective on race and racism. I, I think as a woman, um, my view of the world, my view of the world is my view of the world. And I think, um, you know, I've received, <laughs> I received feedback actually um, that I reacted to. Um, and, and I don't know, I'm, I'm going to email, I'm going to send this to my friend when it goes up, but she, she gave me feedback about um, how I needed to reflect on the privileges that I have. Okay. Um, and and it was hard feedback for me to hear because I said, "What are you talking about?" And um, I got jarred by it. D do you know what I mean? I I well, I have to I, be. I got jarred by it. When, when, <laughs> when I think of, but I'm glad she said it to me. Folks that are privileged, I would not put black women on the top of that <laughs> list. I could be wrong, but I feel like that's that's. In the, in the societal hierarchy of, of established privilege, I, I now Nate, this was feedback from another black woman. Okay, okay. Yeah, and, and so, <laughs> but but I, I think to your I think to your point, um, anytime we get feedback that challenges our identity and our sense of self, it is disruption. But and it's good to reflect on. A hundred percent, and I, I certainly wouldn't dare to think that I have all the answers or that I can connect with the experiences of other black women other black men, other black non-binary or transgender folks. I, I think, yes, there is the thing that makes us the same, but there are other characteristics that have um, invited us to have different life experiences and invited people to treat us differently based on some of those other characteristics that we have. And so I, I think what's really neat in being here with you today, and, and I, know, I, I, know, I think I know enough about you to know that when you put something out into the ether, you make it happen. So oh, I, yeah. <laughs> so, so I, I would anticipate that there are going to be different discussions, and I think it should be with racialized people of different gender expressions, um, some who you, identify... You've got to go and watch our back catalogue. See, and, and now he's going to call me out, and someone's going to write in the comment section, did she do her homework before coming on? Um, and you're right, I but no, did. It's a, it's, a, it's a valid point, and that's one of I the things I didn't do my for. homework, so I should not have assumed that you haven't done that already, that that is an erroneous assumption on my part. Good. Is... Is there anything else that you'd like to add to the conversation that we've had here tonight that you haven't added so far? Nate, all, all, all I would say is um, <laughs> I do think I'm probably going to go down as being one of your more um, boring guests. So should. Oh, I don't think so. <laughs> 
so, but, but what I will say um, is, oh, what a year 2020 has been. Holy hell. One of the interesting things for me that has come out of this year, um, and I do tend to err on the side of optimism, is I think we're coming out of this year with a much stronger sense of how connected we all are. I think the fact that we've had to engage in social distancing has really brought to light how connected we are day to day mm-hmm. and how my neighbor's experience of the world is connected to my experience of the world. My neighbor's wellness impacts my wellness. And I, I think that um, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, um, you know, I, 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 I don't want to only name a few to the, to the exclusion of others mm-hmm. um, because I, I don't want to be disrespectful. but. Um, sadly, he was not the only name on that list, and um, I've been overwhelmed <laughs> by how many people who I've observed in their own way saying, what can I do? Something needs to change. Regardless of who they are in the world, um, I think the vast majority of people I've seen and observed have said, enough is enough, and I don't know why or how or what the fix looks like, but I know that wasn't okay. And I appreciate that that may not take us to the finish line entirely but I think it moves us closer and so um, I'm actually really hopeful um, that things will change and and I'm I'm one person <laughs> but 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 I'm I am really optimistic and and I think um, I'm leaving this summer of, of I don't even know what to call it <laughs> but but I'm I'm leaving with um with a call to action and and I need to define what that looks like for me but I know I want to be a part in whatever way best utilizes my skills um, to move um, the conversation forward and to be a part of generating solutions for my community and so thank you so much for having me thank you so much for coming on and being and it was and it was nice to see you again it was good to see you too and I I I really want to thank you for being as as generous with your time as you have been uh, and as as patient with me as you have been (laughs) Um. <laughs> you, you know, I, I think what I will say, Nate, is, um, and like I said, I'm, I'm sure, you know, people on social media can be unkind, um, and so I, I have no doubt that people will leave comments, some affirming and some not, but um, I really think people are doing the best that they can, and I think um, if people are coming from a place of curiosity <laughs> um, and wanting to make their community a better place, good things will come. So all, all I'm trying to say is I don't know what comments will look like. I've never sat down for a podcast. Is, is this a podcast? It's a <laughs> podcast, <laughs> video, web series, multimedia experience. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, I know it's not Snapchat, and I know it's not ticking no, and talking. No, it's, it's too short. Sure. It's, it's way too long for both of those. And there's things. no music or choreography. But, um, you know, I, I, I think... Um, I would just say hope that you're able to keep this energy in your willingness to have different perspectives and voices on such a critically important issue at a critically important moment of time. And it was really nice to see you again, um, and I'm happy to have been here. Thank you so much. As always, if you appreciate the kind of content that we're trying to produce here at The Breakdown, please consider signing up as a monthly supporter at our Patreon site at www.patreon.com slash thebreakdowneb. And if you're listening to the audio version of our podcast, please consider leaving us a review and a rating. And don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at at thebreakdowneb. Thank you for your attention. <laughs>